right, welcome to another episode of The Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. We are back again today with another episode, and I've got co-host Clay Nominee here again. Clay, how are you doing? Doing all right. Good. And we also have a special guest with us today. Our friend Stephen Bender. Stephen, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Stephen, for those that don't uh, maybe know you, uh, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm a sophomore. I'm a neuroscience major. I'm actually from Waco, uh, so I've been coming to FBC for a while now. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Very good. Do is my voice like deeper than usual? Because uh, it's it, definitely not normal. It is. You went from like a baritone to a solid bass right now. Okay, I am a little offended by that because I consider my ba- myself a bass normally, but uh, <laughs> oh, but oh, okay, that's okay. But I think if you were gonna try and be a sports commentator, you should wait until you get sick and then like, audition and then audition. That's mm-hmm. right. okay. You could give Joe Buck a run for his money right now. Yeah. If you're out there listening, trying to hire a sportscaster, I'm your best bet. So um, give <laughs> give me a whirl. So. <laughs> well. Um, so the actual episode is uh, we, we've been talking through this rule of life uh, this semester, and we have been talking through a number of practices that kind of help us grow um, in our faith. We've talked about ones related to community. We've talked about ones to pursuing a daily faith. And now we're sort of entering the last uh, third, which is uh, the, the last circle is about joining God in his mission. And so we're going to be talking about um, things that are related to the fact that God has sent us Um, as his people into the world in order to be his ambassadors and to reflect his love and goodness and truth into the world. And so um, we are going to be talking about, over the next three weeks, about sort of three topics. Um, We're going to talk about uh, uh, justice. We're going to talk about reconciliation. uh, But the the first one here today is uh, about evangelism. And so that's our our topic for today. So my question for you guys is um, people have all kinds of perceptions and feelings about evangelism, right? So uh, some people have very positive thoughts about it and they're eager to get on with the work of it. Other people have uh, reactions that are like, uh, I, I don't, you know, I've had bad experiences with this or I've been forced into it or it's just super awkward, or it's coercive, you know, whatever. Um, so what, what do you bring into this conversation? What has been your sort of experience with evangelism um, that kind of colors your uh, perception of how you're going to talk about it here today. I'm happy to go first. Um, yeah, so my dad used to be a pastor, so I've definitely been raised to think of evangelism in like a positive light, but I've also had family members that have kind of been burned by the church um, and, and are as a result kind of distrustful of the church. So I recognize I think that evangelism can come with baggage and is like has to be a really careful thing. Um, I think ever since coming to Baylor, I really just kind of feel that most people I talk to are already locked in in how they think about uh, Christianity or just religion in general. So there's less opportunities, I think, for kind of just honest, open evangelism because people are already, already bringing their ideas to the table. So, yeah, my experience at Baylor has has kind of been um, that I haven't maybe been evangelizing yeah. as much as I would even like to, really, or sure. I'm overly cautious, I would say. Stephen, do you think that's, uh, so Baylor's a you know, Christian school, largest Baptist university in the world, right? Um, so when you say that people are kind of already locked into their thing, is that a way of saying that uh, most people are already Christians? Um, is that a way of saying 
everyone's already heard about Jesus? Or is that a way of saying, not necessarily, it's just that whatever their option is, they're probably locked into it? Yeah, I would say it's not necessarily that everyone is Christian. It's just that Baylor has kind of the unique position of there's like cultural pressure to be Christian, as opposed right. to, I think, the case at most universities, which would be pressure to not be religious. Um, which means if you're not Christian and you're at Baylor, it's not that you haven't heard of Jesus and it's not that there's not been that pressure. Um, you might even be reacting against that pressure um, and kind of locking into the, like, a no, I'm not a Christian, um, and I'm kind of sick of all this cultural pressure to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I, know, I, I know I'm in the, you know, the pre-med dorm at Baylor, and I would say there's likely just as many um, non-Christians as Christian. So I don't yeah. think Baylor is, you know, like a monolith in that regard. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's that's insightful. Clay, what about you? Yeah, as for myself, I also have not evangelized near as much as I would like to because all of my experiences with it have been um, awkward and clunky. And, you know, because of that, I've kind of, you know, shied away from that. And I've taken the uh, misquoted St. Francis of Assisi quote the that, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary use words and I've kind of taken it like oh well I don't really have to use my words to evangelize I can just live an upright life which puts way too much pressure on myself and also whenever opportunities do legitimately present themselves for me to have um shared the like shared the gospel I've kind of shied away from the responsibility of the moment because I have trouble envisioning evangelism in a way that isn't awkward and clunky yeah yeah okay and so, um, you know, uh, the, the, the quote you just mentioned about, you know, the importance of our life or deeds, uh, it certainly is important for there to be alignment between, um, and our words are not going to have any power unless that there's a life behind it that is worth paying attention to for sure. Um, but uh, one thing I've, I've noticed is that there's a lot of people in the world today, especially as we kind of become an increasingly sort of uh, secular post-Christian world that, that we're living in, there's a lot of good people in the world that... Um, that, you know, that uh, do a lot of good things and yet uh, wouldn't necessarily claim Christ. And so I think that that's enough to make me think that, okay, um, deeds are great, but they're, they're going to have to be explained um, somehow for sure. What are your reflections? Same question to you, Stephen, about the campus culture itself. Like, how would you, how would you think about it in terms of Baptist school? You know, does it feel like in your circles, did you feel like everybody was already there or did you feel like there's, um, you know, opportunities? What was that like? Um, you know, Baylor to me is just a very strange place culturally. Um, as far as, as far as faith goes. Um, so living off campus, I'm not in the culture as much as I have had was my first two years uh, while I was living in Alexander. Um, but I know that living in Alexander, it um, was really a hodgepodge from people of all walks of life. Some of whom weren't Christian, but the vast majority were. Um, and so there were definitely opportunities for um, evangelism throughout there. But I think the majority of the people that I, you know, kind of circulated around and made my circle were um, were people who were well established and very intentional Christians. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, I think that's probably my experience at Baylor too was uh, maybe sometimes one of those challenges is that when uh, if Christ is at the you know center of your life and you're wanting to to grow there and develop relationships there, you gravitate towards people who are have that same mindset, and then eventually you can kind of find yourself surrounded with those people and not maybe around others as much. So even if they're there, you know, on your campus, right. um, you haven't necessarily positioned yourself to be around them. Um, sometimes on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. and that creates challenges. Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about um, since Sunday is we talk a lot at Baylor about cultural Christianity and how, you know, because there's kind of that pressure to be Christian, a lot of people are just like, I am Christian and that's that's it and it doesn't really affect their life. And I've been wondering if maybe there's like a space for a kind of evangelism that isn't necessarily like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? You should be Christian, but more inviting like we've been talking about a rule of life more inviting people to that kind of lifestyle and that rule of life yeah. so you're not necessarily you know um, preaching the gospel um, to them which they may have heard of already and may even say they agree with as much as you are like these things have you know these practices have changed my life these practices have been really helpful for me i wonder if they might be helpful to you too yeah which you know is a form of evangelism that could still be useful even at baylor yeah. What can you give an example like a practice that maybe of yeah someone into? sure. So, yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about you know taking taking Sabbath. Um, sure. I think especially at Baylor, especially like I, I mentioned, I'm at the pre med dorm. Like there are so many people I know that I think are just tired and burnt out and feel absolutely exhausted with their classes, and just to kind of extend like a hey, you know, here's a biblical practice that I have found incredibly refreshing and has, you know, made me able to live the rest of my life in a much healthier manner. Like, you're not evangelizing like, hey, have you heard about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? But it's still calling them to like a different way of life that I think you can do. We talked about how evangelism is just calling people to like what you love. Like, I've loved taking time every week to kind of get grounded again. And, you know, sharing that with others, I think is could be considered evangelism. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so one of the things that I, I think is fascinating, and maybe we can talk about this, is um, I'm going to use three words that start with the letter B, okay? Uh, to think about the order that uh, the church is calling people to believe, uh, to belong, and to behave, okay? Um, so the kind of typical, stereo- stereotypical order that those happen in is, first of all, um, if someone needs to believe in, in Jesus, uh, then they need to start behaving, you know, in other words, do the, stop doing the bad things, start doing the right things. And then, um, then, then finally they belong, you know, once they've learned to, to believe and behave. And, um, what I think, uh, can sometimes be helpful is to, to reorder those things and to put belief on the back end hmm. and to, to understand that sometimes, um, it's the, um, it's the, I still don't like the word behave cause it kind of has a negative connotation, right? You know, like think of my mom, like behave, Ryan, you know, but it's, but it's the idea of, if we can move beyond that to just thinking of the idea of behaving like a Christian, like practicing mm-hmm. the things that that's what you're saying, right? right, is, is right. practicing the things that Christians do behaving. And so, um, if we can reframe it like that, then, um, you know, what would it look like for people to, um, to belong before they believe and to, uh, start behaving like Christians before they believe, mm. um, and 
could that actually be a way to uh, invite people into uh, to come and see, you know, what the faith is all about in a sort of low pressure way um, that just trusts that God's going to work in their life over time and doesn't sort of force uh, propositional statements that we have to decide if we agree or disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Um, I tend to agree. I think um, <clears throat> we talk a lot about how our belief, our beliefs inform our practices, that in everything we do, that there's a belief behind it. I think right. the reverse is also true. I think our behaviors and our practices inform our beliefs in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it's kind of um, something that a lot of philosophers have talked about for millennia. Um, like if you go think back to like, Nicomachean ethics with Aristotle. It's the idea that if you want to become a certain thing, it is like, say you want to become a courageous person. Well, you do that by regularly performing or acting courageously uh, when the opportunity presents itself. And you'll struggle and you'll fail along the way, but it's generally building up this habit within your person and that over time you become this person who is a courageous person. And with matters like faith, it is kind of different. Um, because we're talking about a belief and we can't really force ourselves to believe something, but it is the idea that we take these first steps into unknown and into deep waters, um, where maybe the, the belief isn't there, but we try to behave and we try to belong and it's the faith or the trust that God will work in our lives and bring us to that, to that place of belief. Mm. Yeah, another uh, philosopher actually said something similar. Um, it was Batman, and he said, <laughs> it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Uh, and when I listened to that quote as a 12-year-old, I was like, that's stupid. That's a stupid line. I have no idea what that means. But when I, I watched it again recently, and I was like, maybe, maybe <laughs> there's something there. Just maybe. Which movie was that? I think that's Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because Rachel tells it to him like early in the movie. And then he says it again later, and Rachel's like, Bruce? And then he jumps off the building. <laughs> but I, I think of a, um, a few years ago, I remember meeting with a student who was um, uh, not a believer, and yet he was uh, close friends with one of the students in our, our college ministry. I remember meeting with him and just kind of asking him some questions about where he was in his journey. And um, what was really interesting to me was that he was – was not ready to call himself a Christian by any means, but he was behaving like one. Mm-hmm. Um, he w- had an active prayer life, um, and he was starting to read the Bible for himself, and um, and he was just drawn in by these practices. And um, and ultimately, I mean, a couple a few months later, you know, he ended up accepting Christ. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and he was sort of a classic, you know. Um, case of reversing the cycle of he had a belonging he, uh, that our you know this this guy in our, in our ministry had helped helped him belong uh, then he started to behave so to speak to take up these practices and then along the way God was working in his life and he came to the place of, of believing and so I've seen this happen and I know it I know it that it uh, I don't want to say that it, it works because it's not about having a formula that like yeah. works but but I think what's st- what Stephen uh, why I'm glad you brought this up is that the reason we started talking about this is because it's reframing evangelism Mm -hmm. and our imagination sometimes is so much on the words as like a sort of a sales pitch. Like, like you said, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And, uh, and there might be that moment where that needs to come, but but we ought to think carefully about like 
the timing and the order of how different things fit into the equation. So, yeah. I think that's a good phrase of kind of how I've thought of evangelism in the past is like a sales pitch, which I think is a, the reason a lot of people are naturally distrustful because, you know, we don't trust salesmen, right? There's people right. we don't know. They just kind of show up and they're like, have you heard my elevator pitch? Um, and then you either agree with it or you don't and they're gone anyway. And you don't know me and you don't know my life. Right. You know, if you're trying right. to sell me a refrigerator, you know, it's like, you know, you're probably just. You, you just have money in, in mind. That's your interest. You just mm -hmm. want to sell me the fancy ones so you'll get more commission, you mm -hmm. know? And there's and, a very, like, let me tell you what you need kind of vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. 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 Well, um, we, on Sunday, we ha we made some affirmations about what evangelism maybe should be. And uh, I'll let me just read these sort of again, and maybe we can reflect on what's helpful or what thoughts come up as, as, I, um, as I share these. And so, uh, the first we've already sort of alluded to with Clay's quote earlier that there ought to be an alignment between our words and our deeds and our life. Um, the second one is that it ought to feature the love of God, not the avoidance of hell. So thinking of sort of like a fire and, and brimstone sort of thing, um, fear-based decisions versus um, responding to, to God's love for us, right? Um, another is that the method ought to match the me the message, um, and so if our that's similar to the previous one, but if our message is a message of Christ's love for us, that He comes to be with us, uh, to know us, not unlike the salesman, right? Then um, then our method ought to that we go about sharing ought to be something that causes us to be with people as well. Um, so the fourth is uh, it invites others to follow Christ without pushing them. Now we've kind of already been talking about that a little bit, uh, but uh, there you go. And then the fifth one is uh, it's compelled by the love of God um, and our love for our neighbor. And so it's compelled by God's love for us and our love for our neighbor. Um, so anyway, I wonder if some of these things can help us have a healthier version of evangelism in mind. What comes to mind for you as you hear some of these things? I think the two things that stick out to me are the second and the fifth note there, that um, evangelism ought to be motivated by God's love for us and not the fear and avoidance of hell. And it's also motivated by God's love for us and love for neighbor, like love for God and love for neighbor. I think those two things go hand in hand. And I think that there is um, a real temptation, even if we don't see it or don't explicitly use it, um, to evangelize using these fear-based techniques. It's the idea that we are like, sinners in the hands of an angry God or the idea that God is out to get us, um, which, um, like I said, I don't think it's an explicit belief because I think whenever we say it out loud, we know it sounds absurd. Um, but I do kind of wonder how, if that's implicitly believed by a lot of people, Christian and non-Christian yeah. alike, um, that God isn't actually a loving God. Um, and I think that, you know, being the type of people who go, who are motivated by a love for neighbor and a love for God is probably one of the best ways to present yourself as an advocate for God's love, like testifying on his behalf, like, no, God actually does love the world. He loves you, and it's a transformative love. I'd like for you to, you to know it, um, is a very important way to reframe evangelism. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise we can obscure the picture of God, right? I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that do think Christians believe something, some version of what you're saying, you yeah. know, um, is that either because we've led them to believe that or uh, for whatever reason, they th they think that's what God is like. And so 
um, we almost have to work against that directly. Mm -hmm. I actually uh, got the opportunity to go to a Catholic mass a few weeks back um, for a class project. And in his message, he mentioned that a lot of Christians do things um, just to avoid hell, what he called fire insurance, which I thought was kind of a, you know, a, a good turn of phrase. And I just don't think that's ever kind of like what we want to be acting out of. Because um, you're right, like fear, fear-based motivation is like a pretty good short-term, like it's pretty effective short-term, it can work. Um, but I think long-term, um, A, it's not loving. Like you don't ever want to like be scaring people um, into your way. And also, I just don't think it's biblical. Like I think we can rest in the knowledge that like God is loving and that should kind of motivate us. Um, to evangelize because we're calling people to something that, you know, is like super beneficial and like God loves us and we should want to invite other people into that. So, yeah, I, I think that has been way too common of a method in the past. And, and you're right, we're kind of like working um, against that, which makes it difficult for sure. But yeah. Yeah. So God, um, God wants us other people to know him, um, not because he's angry at them and uh can hardly control his his anger you know but uh because he he wants to have a relationship with them and he he likes them because he created them and he sees the potential in them he sees what they could be he sees the things that they're grabbing onto that are hurting them and he wants healing and hope for their life he wants restoration and so that's why uh that's why we share with others is because god wants the best the best for their life. And, um, and so we, uh, and so when that motivation is all about centered on love rather than not anger or fear, um, you know, everything changes really does. Next thing for us to think about is, is how, uh, I, I tried to make an, a point on, on Sunday about how, um, we evangelize all the time, you know, that, uh, that whatever your favorite thing is that you're passionate about, whether it's, uh, whether it's food or music or, um, it's a, a show that you're watching recently, you know, whatever it is all the time, we're sharing things about life with people, um, that, uh, that we are passionate about and we want them to love it, love it too. And so, um, evangelism is basically, um, very similar to all the ways we campaign for stuff in our everyday life and in the sense that we are inviting people to love what we love. Um, so how, how do you think that, does that reframe evangelism for you in a, in a helpful way? Uh, or what does that bring to mind for you, the idea that evangelism is inviting people to love what, what you love? Um, as for me, the first thing I think of is that evangelism is not apologetics or more accurately yeah. apologetics is not evangelism. Yeah. Um, you're not coming up to people with a case by case line by line argument on why Jesus did in fact die and rise from the dead. Um, you hold the rational position. They hold the irrational position. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, it is not an invitation to love what you love. It is an, it's not an invitation at all. It's a, it's a putting down and a proving wrong, which, you know, it's God's work to prove people wrong. God's going to prove everybody wrong. But what evangelism really is, and I think we see it um, with, uh, is it Philip who is sitting under the tree in like the third passage of John? 
think so. Philip and who is his brother? I should know this, Nathaniel, but I don't. Maybe? Nathaniel, something yeah. like that. Um, Nathaniel comes to Philip and he tells, and he tells him about Jesus. And Jesus, Philip's sitting under a tree and he's like, I'm not going to go. You know, what could uh, this Jesus guy you're talking about? He's not all you say he is. And Nathaniel just says to Philip, come and see. Mm-hmm. I'll show you. You know, you'll just, just come see. And it's the idea that we're introducing people into, um, that the first thing that they're going to see is the, the behavior um, and the place to belong. If we were to see like, just come to church with me and see, or come to this, um, or come to a gathering with me and just see. Or try out this practice of Sabbath or prayer. Yeah, try out the Sabbath yeah. of practice and just see what it is. Um, and it's something different. And I think, um, like, ultimately, it wasn't uh, Nathaniel, you know, proving Philip wrong or Nathaniel coming back and saying, see, Philip, I told you, if you Sabbath once a week, you won't be so stressed. Jesus did all the work. He introduced them to Jesus. Jesus was the one who changed lives. Um, at the same time, on Sunday, we talked about how there are, are differences uh, between talking about uh, your favorite food or your favorite show and and faith. And uh, do you guys remember some of the, you know, people raised some really good differences, I thought. I was kind of amazed um, by how many people raised their hands on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was in, you know, a, a, a lot of different people, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, and I thought that was important. I, I, we needed to name those things. Can you remember what some of those reasons were that sharing your faith is different from sharing your favorite show, you know? Yeah, I remember a few, definitely not all of them. But I think the one that definitely stuck out to me was, I can't remember who said it, but they basically said, a lot of other things are not as deeply tied into your own identity as religion is, right? Like your favorite bur- burger joint and your, your favorite flavor of ice cream. Like you might want to put other people on that, um, but you're not going to be as hurt if they disagree with you. Or it, It's ice cream, right? It's not a big deal. <coughs> religion um, is kind of the way you view the whole world, right? So it makes sense um, that it's a bit um, more weighty. And with that weight, I think also can come a sense of awkwardness because you're taking a real risk when you share that with other people. Um, and you're taking a risk when you, you know, are willing to listen to that from other people. So I, I think that was kind of the other other thing that stood out to me. Yeah. I remember the uh, somebody's just talking about how it's just taboo, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you kind of like get into... I, I, I sometimes I find like either online Facebook groups or like, you know, different gatherings you can show up to in real life. And there, and there's sort of like some ground rules for like the event. And one of the classic ground rules is no talking about politics or religion, right? Yeah. When you don't want people, you don't want it to be an advisive environment. It's like, we're trying to have a good evening here. Right. right. And, um, and I can understand why that can be a ground rule because, um, there's lots of people that don't know how to talk about, um, religion in a way that, you know, that isn't divisive, just just like with politics. Um, but yet what I'm afraid that like implies and now actively creates um, an idea in people's minds is that we can't talk about faith in ways that aren't divisive, you know? Well, it's a catch-22, you know, because right. when you say we can't talk about religion because it's decisive, uh, uh, you know, because it's divisive, um, then people don't talk about it. And when they don't talk about it, then people aren't very good at it, which makes it divisive in the first place. Right. So you're kind of, right. you're right. When you shut that door, it's um, because it's taboo and you don't want to talk about it, you are s- creating an even larger tr- taboo around the subject. And things, the same would apply to politics, right? Oh, like yeah. if we don't practice how to be good at good talking about politics, right. then of course we're all going to be bad at talking about it. Right. You know? And it's a, I think it's a skill. 
it's something you can like grow. So I, 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 that's kind of why I would say I would like to evangelize more. It's not just, you know, that I'm, I would like to lead other people um, to Jesus. Obviously that's part of it. But part of it is that I can recognize in myself that I'm almost like overly cautious and overly shy to share something yeah. that's such a big part of my life. And if it is such a big part of my life and it is something I care so much about, why am I so hesitant to share it with other people? Yeah. Yeah. And I know a thing that another person mentioned on Sunday was that um, religion is a taboo thing to talk about because um, when we enter into these conversations with other people, we're not really willing to give up our position of Christianity. We're trying to convince them of our position, but we're not really willing to um, to be moved ourselves. And I don't think that that is um, a problem necessarily. And I say that because like the foundational, the foundation of Christianity uh, is the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the idea that God became human, died and rose from the dead. And those those claims aren't claims that you can prove to be true. They're not claims that um, you know any you know logical syntax will any lead you to believe that every rational person has to agree with if they're being intellectually respectable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. it's a totally irrational position to take. Yeah. Um, it's mysterious. It's mysterious. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Is it's a very mysterious position to take. Uh, but it's also the cornerstone of our very belief. And when you come to it, it's a it's a take it or leave it. And now, beyond that, I think there is some room to walk away, change from these conversations. And I think that that's okay. Um, but really, it's when we're talking about the, the logos, the word, the ordering of creation becoming human, that's, that's just not something that we can change in our system. If, if, if we do... Um, we're kind of losing the very foundation of Christianity at all. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and you, I, I think what that person was trying to get at is like when they go into conversations about this, they're not going into it with a position of like, a, maybe I'll change my mind about Jesus. Maybe I'll stop believing in him. Like they're definitely going into it sure about, we, we go into conver- like evangelizing conversations like sure of our own position. But I think maybe what we can take away from this is that you can still have like compassion and respect for where the other person's at at the time. Right. Right. Like yes. we can be sure of our own position and still say like, I, I know that you're not Christian. Maybe even like I was talking about with some of my family, I've had to have conversations where I'm like, I know that you've been burned by the church before. Like I know that you've actually been hurt by some of this stuff, but, and then kind of go into the conversation that way. Yeah. And so the goal, um, you know, earlier, you know, we said, you know, it came up that the goal of sh- sharing it was said or implied is to convince the other person. I don't know if that's actually true. Hmm. I think maybe the the goal of sharing is just to say, hey, this this has changed changed my life, and you should check it out, and because I think it could change your life too if you want to, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's that's not quite the same thing as like convincing the other person, right? Yeah. Because um, I think that's to tie back to what you're saying a minute ago. If the goal is to convincing, then you need all the perfect arguments that are watertight and cannot be defeated, right? right. Um, or else you're not going to be able to convince them. But if the goal is just to offer up your story, just to say, here's what I've seen, come and see, right? Um, and then in that case, uh, you know, the, it, it says it's an invitation, but it, it, it allows for the possibility of being rejected, 
Uh, it has to, right? We have to allow ourselves to, to have to be rejected and if that to be okay and not to be soul crushing to us um, or else we lose the integrity of the whole process. Yeah, that's a really uh, important thing that I hadn't really thought of before. And I think it helps me understand um, part of the story we talked about on Sunday that I've never really gotten, which is where Jesus kind of says, you know, if they don't accept you, shake the dust off your feet and leave, right? Mm-hmm. I've always seen that like, oh, isn't that kind of like a spiteful thing to do? But I think when you say that, that kind of just makes me realize like there's a possibility you're going to get rejected, right? And when that happens, you can't, you know, feel completely hurt and just never do it again and I'm done, right? You kind of just have to be like, okay, I shared my story. Um, I, you know, I've told them my my position, what I love, and now I just kind of have to move on, <clears throat> right? Um, and that's all you can do because right. because that leaves space for to truly believe that it's God and the and the Holy Spirit working in people's lives in order for them to actually you know come to a place of um, you know following Christ. Um, if you if you think that you're the one doing it, <laughs> then you know then you have to keep going and going. Right. You know what I mean. Hmm. But if it's not really about you, then you can do your part and then leave it up to God and shake the dust off your feet. You know, yeah. So the way we framed this uh, all on Sunday is, uh, is, is the practice is talking about transformation. And the tool that I sort of gave is like a way of learning to, er, a way of, of talking about how God has changed your life, what difference he's made in your life. And um, I gave just sort of a little simple template um, that it, it's not like the template is the perfect tool or anything like that. The template is just a tool to get us thinking about how God has changed our life and then learning to sort of ideally talk about it naturally with other people. Um, yeah, everyone knows the perfect template for evangelism is Roman's Road. Obviously. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And there's a million of them out there. And we can get really tempted to think that, like, this is the system that we must use and is, is right for all times and all places. There's the bridge diagram. There's all kinds of stuff. We get overly reliant on those tools. But the the best tools just help equip you to know what to say so that you can naturally kind of pour out your heart and just talk, you know? Um, and so the, uh, the, uh, the three statements or the three blanks on this tool were just, uh, basically without Jesus, I'd be blank. Uh, but with Jesus, I am blank. And now I have blank. Right. And so the basic idea is just like, what difference does it make that, that, you know, Jesus, right. Um, and in other words, how has he transformed your life? Like find a way to recognize that and start talking about that so that you can do the very thing we're talking about. Offer witness to what he's doing in your life and invite people to just come come and see and decide for themselves that that's something they want to be a part of. Um, is that helpful? Is there anything that you would like revise or add on to this tool? Um, or do you think we're headed in the right direction here? That's uh, what I'm curious about. Something important I think you said on Sunday is that you need to be honest with the template. You can't just, I think I would be tempted to be like, without Jesus, I would be hopelessly in despair and I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And I would, that's tempting. Right. Um, but I don't really think it's true. I think I'd still be able to go about my life. Um, but I think I can honestly say, like without Jesus, I would feel angry, right? I'd kind of feel angry. I think this was this was mine and somebody else said it and I really agree with it. Mine was without Jesus, I would be angry. Um, with him, I'm hopeful, right? And now I have a sense of purpose, right? I still want to, like, you know, get out in the world, put my boots on the ground, and try and help people, but I don't feel this kind of overwhelming burden of 
I have to do everything myself or every single thing I see in the news is just hopeless, right? That I think I can honestly say. So I think the most important thing I think about with that template is um, just honesty and not, you know, overstating how um, hopeless you would be as a person without Jesus, but being honest. Yeah, no, and I think that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, not being over dramatic with it. Um, but I also think it's a very good, te- it's a really great template because it, um, offer it offers you a chance to tell the story of your life. Because if you look at, you know, the Bible and all of creation as a story, uh, well, our lives are a story as well, and they are within this story of creation, and they have an important role to play. Um, but it also it's a, is it's a new way to look at how we can view our faith story because for me you know growing up a lot of people told me that oh the best way to evangelize is just tell your the story of your life before christ and then after christ um and i'm like well uh my dad's a pastor i know i'm not like i know <laughs> yeah. i wasn't baptized as an infant what but I was, before <laughs> i was baptized i always got stuck on that too yeah, yeah. and i'm like yeah. yeah exactly like what before like yeah. what i don't know what to uh let's see before i met christ i was non-existent non-existent with now, him I <laughs> with him i exist so i was making poop jokes because <laughs> i was five years old <laughs> yeah, exactly um yeah. and so i've always kind of gotten hung up on that um and i've hated whenever people ask me that question to tell my give my testimony but i think that this is a much more helpful tool because i can say like well mm. if i this hypothetical like if i wasn't a christian i can look at my life and say um that without Jesus, this is what it would look like for yeah. me. And I much prefer it this right. way, having Jesus in my life. Yeah, and that imagination of without Jesus, I think, is really about um, knowing, like, what are my personality traits and that need restraint mm. and that Jesus has helped me restrain. and But it's still, I'm still kind of a mess even when he's helping me restrain them. And so without that restraint, I mean, that's that's going to that be a problem. I was going to say, I think asking, you know, who would I be without Jesus is like a helpful practice even outside of evangelism. Like, I think that's just yeah. kind of a helpful practice mm-hmm. in general. I know for me for it gratitude. has been. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, uh, to kind of circle all the way back uh, f- full, um, full circle. So I think that um, going back to this idea that evangelism is just sharing the things that we're passionate about. It's inviting other people to love what you love. But then we said, well, yes, but not exactly, because when we talk about faith and religion, it's different, it's taboo, um, you know, all, all the things like that. Um, I think that this practice right here, this tool that we're talking about, just sharing how God has transformed your life, I wonder if this is a way to cut through that difference, okay? Mm-hmm. And so it is true, it is a true statement that um, sharing about your faith will not be received and perceived by other people as the same as talking about your favorite new show. People are going to tense up. People are going to feel awkward. But my hope is that we can be a part of changing that narrative and dispelling those fears that people have if we will learn to, to share in a way that is simply offering our story and simply offering people to come see for themselves. And there's not a... Um, there's not a pushiness to it. There's not an aggressiveness to it. There's not a you're stupid if you don't agree with me to it. It's and, and when all of that doesn't happen, it can be really disarming. It can be just like, oh, you're just, you're just, this is just, you know, um, you sharing who you are and you want me to come be a part of it. And if I don't, that's totally okay. 
well, well maybe all maybe talking about religion can be a lot like sharing your your favorite show and those yeah. can become closer together so that's that's where um that's kind of how my brain is fitting together all these things that we're talking does that do you think that's right are we on, on the right track here any, any thoughts pushback yeah clarifications yeah just <clears throat> that um evangelism doesn't have to be this awkward and uncomfortable and coercive thing that we've made it out to be um that can just be it can just be an invitation to come live the same same way of life that we do and see what see how it works for you yeah i i will just say i'm i'm really grateful we talked about this on sunday because i think most churches kind of fall into one of two camps which is um one they are kind of pushing the coercive evangelism and the kind of you know, sinners in the hand of an angry God, that kind of, that brand of evangelism, or they fall into a, this is awkward, we don't want to be that, so we're just not going to talk about it at all. So I'm glad we're kind of... um, Searching for another way. Right. Yeah. Very good. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for today. This is a great conversation. I know I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm learning a lot and um, trying to kind of lock in some of these ideas in my own heart and mind, and so thanks for helping me do that. Um, thanks for tuning in today. I, uh, I hope that you'll share this episode with somebody who maybe could benefit from it and give us um, a review. We'd love that. And we will catch you next time for another episode. Invite your friends to come and listen to this podcast. <laughs> Adios. Adios.